Good morning. Gonna sing you this song while you talk crazy into the microphone like you're fucking crazy or just busy. I feel like it's a morning where I'm gonna sing all the stuff. I might just sing this intro cause it's cool and I can't get enough. You guys, welcome to Take Me to Coffee. Oh, you know what? This is a mentorship podcast for the digital age. It's for the doers, the builders, the people who are making things from the ground up. The best part of a coffee date is getting personal with someone who's been down the road before you. So this is your weekly chance to pick the brains of some super smart people. And soak up a whole lot of information. And inspiration. And inspiration. (laughs) (laughs) Good morning, Andrew. I've never once in uh, my life had someone sing such an amazing song. See, that's what I do. I elicit music. Is that what you do? I do. That's what, exactly what I do. You elicit music from yourself. That and from most things, really. People just yeah. have, have a song inside them, and I draw that out. That's what you went to school for. Mm, I don't know what I went to school for, actually. To learn to song. To song. You went to school to, to song. song. <laughs> I, you know what? You learned to song. I feel like there was a song inside me well before I went to school. Oh, They just learned sweet. me how to shape that song into they something that was, they learned me, <laughs> they learned me how to shape that song into something that somebody uh, might want to hear someday. I like that. That's beautiful. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I really paint a picture. That's, uh, there's my schooling again. Based on your work this morning, I'd say you have a little more work to do, but I'm really proud and you're doing great. Listen, you know what? I'm a, I'm a perpetual student. I am an acquirer of skills. Oh boy, that is so relevant today because we're going to be talking to the man who gave us those words. Oh, those words, those words that resonate deep within me every <laughs> single day. I cannot stress it enough. The acquisition of skills is so important in this life. Perpetual student, whatever you want to call it. The inimitable Mark Fisher today. Man. It's an unbelievable story. We've only done a handful of episodes. I mean, it's a big couple of handfuls, but... Two, two I mean, full handfuls. I think two we full handfuls. Two, Maybe two handfuls. close to three. <gasps> but it's crazy how how much we've taken from these conversations that, like, I know both you and I have, like, wound into our everyday lives, in the, even in this short amount of time, such as, like, Mark yeah. Fisher's idea of skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I have taken skill acquisition to a new level. I've used it so many more times <laughs> in my lexicon throughout the day. And I think that uh, having these conversations with people really opens up your mind to Just new ways of thinking, but also Mm. like realizing that mentorship and this podcast in in and of itself, this this mentorship that we're doing is informing real world shit. Like it's like informing every single part of what we're doing. It goes way beyond just like your skill set or past the episode. It's like, oh man, this is like applicable to every part of my life, not just what's in front of me at the moment. You know, I feel like it's informing everything that I'm doing. Did you, t- this week, is there like a, a skill acquisition you made that, or that you went looking for outside of your normal day-to-day stuff? Yeah. I started scuba diving. What? I know. It's crazy, right? And I'm not going to lie to you. The first couple of breaths that I took, and it wasn't the first couple of breaths. It was more like the first minute to three minutes that I was under the water. And I was like maybe like yeah. a foot under the water going through some drills and stuff. Yeah. I'm not shitting you. I, I like ran into a wall of anxiety from like being in this alien environment for a while and feeling claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. which I've had some problems with in the past. Like if I was really in a, like a tight spot or squeezed or something, you know, like if I'm, you know, really feeling um, uh, pent up or something, mm-hmm. I'm a free spirit. So you can't keep me down. But the water is like this 
free, beautiful environment. But at the same time, you're like, you've got this weight on you from the pack and the, the yeah. BCD and you've got this other stuff and you're breathing from this one thing. And you realize if you start to think about it a little bit that you're like, I'm the alien here. This is your world. I'm just yeah. renting space for a moment. Right. And it's like so cool, but at the same time, so freeing once you get over that like hump of, oh, fuck, I'm not supposed to be here. I'm just right. like, I'm, it's such a cool thing. I think that it, that must have something to do also, though, with just like body response to like potentially dangerous situations. And I say that because for myself, I hike a lot up in the Rocky Mountains, like way up high where it's very hard to breathe. And, yeah. you know, they're intense hikes. And I have had the same experience because, you know, you, so you can't breathe. You're breathing really hard. You cannot hear anything but your own breath. So you right. can hear how hard you're breathing, which can yeah. be a real mind fuck. Um, oh, yeah. And I've found my body automatically goes to a scary place every time I do it and I hear my breath yeah. and I know I'm having a hard time. But also like I've found I can't wear my the strap on my um oh, the top strap hiking on your backpack. Yeah. Or right. the or the waist one because it's yeah. the same thing. It it something in combo with knowing that I'm not breathing easily makes me feel claustrophobic and like intensifies and that panic. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It's yeah. unbelievable. I do have to say for myself, though, that the uh, the first time I dove, I did have a faulty BCD, which is a buoyancy control device, which is essentially the vest that kind of has the – you hook in your air tank to it so you can fill it up with air from your tank or from your mouth, and you can, like, kind of float along. Yeah. I had a faulty BCD, so every time I would take in air, which is the first time I ever scuba dove, the thing would fill in a little bit, right? Uh -huh. I didn't realize that that was what was happening because I'd filled, partially filled it up to be able to, like, get into the water become neutrally buoyant. So I go down. Every time I take a breath, the thing starts to fill up a little bit. And I was like, oh, my God, why do I feel so constricted? Because the BCD kept every time I'd take a breath, <gasps> it was like a boa constrictor. And it would be like, <laughs> so and I'd scary. breathe out, but then the thing would fill up. So I had less oh room God. space. I was like, <laughs> it was so miserable. I was like, oh, my God. And then I started to freak out. So I, like, give the hand signal to the instructor who's a buddy of mine. He plays bass on our show. He's a master instructor, teaches Navy divers and shit. Oh, cool. And he's like, let's go up. So I literally I, I ascend one foot out of the water. And I was right? like, I feel like I can't breathe right now. He's like, how much air do you have in BC? I go, and it just lets out this huge thing. He goes, uh, so we unhook the hose and like, and then I, I'm able to dive fine. But he's like, okay, that's a good first lesson. Like, I can't believe you had a faulty BCD on the first dive you've ever done. I was like, oh my it's God. It's just my luck, bro. He's like, you learned a very valuable lesson. Like, if that shit ever happens, unhook the hose, let all the air out, and then figure your way around the pool. So I was like, fuck, man, that's tough. I, f I feel like when Mark Fisher, when you listen to this episode and he's talking about yeah. skill acquisition, he's talking about like learning about marketing funnels or how to lead people. Meanwhile, Andrew and I are like putting ourselves in life threatening <laughs> situations. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I'm learning how to deal with a life-threatening situ threatening situation. That's us, though, and that's yeah, other no, people, really so it's us. fine. But I'll tell you what, man. Mark Fisher, though, that conversation, though, kind of really inspired me. Yeah. That dude is so smart from yeah. the library of books that he reads on a daily basis to yeah. his finance and business ability, the unicorn club that he's created and all this awesome stuff. Like, that guy works harder not harder, yeah. but like works in a, in a more, an efficient way that is like beyond efficient. 
so Mark Fisher owns a fitness studio. We were really excited to talk about him because a like all our friends go there, like the whole Broadway community goes. It and, feels and like my wife goes there, and she's, Andrew's she's, wife goes there. She's religious about it. But also, we were excited to talk to him because he was an actor. He was a Broadway actor, you know, in his first life, and then he started this and took it from one single trainer to a staff of like twenty five plus, two locations in New York, and like tons of like charitable work, like a really really successful business that reflects him personally and who he is. It was definitely like a a really exciting conversation, I think, for both you and I, right? Oh, absolutely. I was like, let me ask this guy questions and thank you Hmm. for getting my wife into her happiest (laughs) places. Her happiest place in the world is coming home after a workout and being like, I did something great today, pushing herself to a new level and like dealing with new people and new new challenges. And this is the place that he's created is a safe space for people who are afraid to work out and or kind of intimidated by novelty workout items and or other gyms that can be daunting and scary. This is something that's super approachable. And he's created this brilliant, beautiful place for these people to have a safe spot. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this episode. Totally. So head over to Twitter, follow us at TM2C Podcast so that you can leave a question for any of our upcoming guests. And we hope you enjoy this episode of Take Me to Coffee with Mark Fisher. Mark Fisher. They've said so yeah, many yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. And they're my friends. Think how bad it gets. It gets worse. <laughs> no, no, no. way worse. No. I would love to just be a fly on the wall for some of those conversations, though. Yeah. You know, Brian in particular, we had a, we really misspent our 20s together. So Brian knows all my dark <laughs> secrets. Oh, but that his, makes his secrets, so much sense. His secrets are far darker than mine, as it surprises no one. <laughs> no. And I don't think they're really even secrets. I think he's no, happy no, to share all of it. <laughs> true. He is happy to share. Did you and Brian know each other during college? No, we we literally met like the year after we graduated because we were, you know, young, non-equity, straight. <laughs> Roustabouts. Kind of straight guys doing the musical theater thing. So there was always like <laughs> eight straightish dudes at the end of every callback. Uh, and yeah, he was just this really like friendly dude. And we just like, kind of hit it off. And then uh, as our 20s progressed, because everyone kind of works with everyone, we just sort of became aggressive drinking buddies. Um, and uh, yeah, just sort of dear friends. And yeah, and then we and then we accidentally hired <laughs> Mark Fisher Fitness when it opened, um, which was great. Which was like totally amazing. What does that mean? Accidentally? Well, it was just, it was so random because we like, so my business partner is, I just call call my non-sexual life partner. We've been best friends since we were like 15, right? So we did like community theater together. When we first were starting MFF, like I had just submitted to his manipulation. Like, okay, we'll do a real business. Okay, fine, fine, fine. So he comes in New York City to meet some of the team. And then I bring him out afterwards to hang out like with all my friends. My usual crew time, which is like Brian Patrick Murphy, Brian Gallagher, Landon Beer, Tim Dunn. And Michael, oh, my business yeah, partner was yeah. like, oh. I know all those guys. So basically it's like a bunch of like super gay straight guys. And then your friend Tim, <laughs> who's this one like straight gay dude. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's totally the thing, right? Yeah. And then Brian is like, you know, we're at uh, Lasagna at Chelsea where he used to work as a bartender. He's like slinging drinks. And I was oh, like, yeah. yeah, that's Brian. God, he's, I remember that. He's kind of like our Danny Zuko. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. And then, you know, the whole night was like full on shenanigans and including, of course, a really misguided trip to the strip club. I mean, it was just ridiculous, right? So on the way home, <laughs> we're in the cab and Michael's like, we should hire that guy. And I was like, Brian? And I was like, well, I can ask him. And then I like basically wrote him this email. I was like, hey, dude, I don't know what your career dreams are right now, but I have this weird idea for you. And then he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. And then the rest was history. 
hundred <laughs> percent. Speaking of history, can we talk about what you're drinking? Because we're on the Take Me to Coffee podcast. I want to know what kind of coffee. Yeah, you're uh, right now uh, I don't know what the it's probably the breakfast blend from uh, Empire Coffee, which my kind of go to, yeah, like right. Ninth Avenue, absolutely classic, one of the last remnants of old school Hell's Kitchen. Yes, sir. I, we live right up the street from oh, there. Oh, fantastic. And so we go to Empire regularly. Yes. Where is it? I actually never place. been there. It's right across the street from Port Authority on, what would you, what would you say that is? 41st? Yeah, I think it's between 41st and 9th Avenue. 41st and 40th on 9th Avenue. Ooh. And it's like old school in New York. It's like old school. And the coffee's great. Super cheap. They got big hemp bags yeah. full of beans like spread all over the place you can like dig out your own blends and whatnot it's really cool you yeah can't get better yeah, cup. that's our, our go-to and you know i mean classically me i'm drinking the intelligentsia so oh yeah, yeah. and you know usually i'm definitely uh, i wouldn't say i'm a snob by any means but that tends to intelligentsia Stumptown. grumpy actually is my favorite here in the city yeah. grumpy is my favorite uh drip is it yeah, really okay, okay. there's something about it's nutty and it's like crack cocaine i'm like gang, gang. so like i can't ever have a full cup of it <laughs> right the, the the caffeine level it's really it's it's pronounced your formidable tolerance for caffeine i've really pulled down uh my amount in my old age i have discovered there really is a correlation between the amount i drink because the, the problem is i never feel bad i just get like subtly anxious all the time just like subtly anxious, but Understood. I still feel great. Like if you ask me how am I doing, I'm like, I'm great. But I'm just like subtly anxious that maybe things aren't actually going to turn out okay in my life. <laughs> right, right. And right. then when I drink less. Just the, the hint of trepidation. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's just like a subtle background. I'm down to like one or two cups a day. Yeah, and I know you're like, oh God, is yeah. that right? Are we doing things correctly today? Uh, so I like okay, track great. by the ounce, which is like so weird. So I do like, uh, of course, nerdy fitness guy. <laughs> I have like a, my health habit tracker. So every day in my Google Docs, I always have it open on my browser and I'm like, how many ounces can I have? And I try to keep it to 15, but sometimes it goes up to 25, and that's a very different level of <laughs> anxiousness. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's some that's some like really in-depth macros you got going on there. If you're counting ounces of caffeine or ounces of coffee, that's really crazy. It's very uh, shameful, but I'll admit it to you because I have no shame. I mean, being a fitness guru, I guess that you kind of have to do that, right? Lead by example. And, and that it's the kind of thing I would never probably recommend anyone do, but I have found that yeah. I do very well with ferocious amounts of structure that other people feel like a boot on the throat. But to me, like a, a, a child with a difficult paying attention, it's like a weighted blanket, just like a hug when I've got that kind of structure. So I do great with that. Yeah. It's your structured gravity blanket. I have a question. Does that mean you like... You put liquid in like a measuring cup to see how much it is and then like all uh, that stuff? Or? I don't go to quite that extent, but I have uh, two coffee cups. The, I have a 10-ounce one and one that is like 5.5 ounces, so I know I can eyeball it. So it's probably not like super, super precise, but like it's it's close enough. And then when you go out to like a regular coffee shop, you know, you'll get like, you know, a 12-ounce or a 16-ounce. Yeah. These days I almost never do them because I would really kind of blow all my blow all my load in one coffee cup, which would be sad. <laughs> Speaking of blowing your load, can you actually just tell, like, since we are on a podcast and we're like talking to each other, like we've known each other forever, because I feel like we have, can you just introduce yourself a little bit? Are we podcasting already? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, great. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Oh, we're on it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the high, super high level is my name is Mark Fisher. Uh, the main thing that I do is I run a company called Mark Fisher Fitness, which is two brick and mortar fitness studios in New York City. And our tagline is ridiculous humans, serious fitness. So what that means is we are very serious fitness nerds. We pride ourselves on creating a very high level training, nutrition, evidence-based protocols, but we just deliver it in a very eccentric way because we particularly like to help people that don't like and or hate the gym. 
So I myself came from the world of the theater, as astute listeners have no doubt picked up. And it came, frankly, out of this desire for me to take the information that I was learning from my mentors that I think are really brilliant people, but are, I don't know are always as adept at explaining the information in a way that is dynamic and that is accessible to my people and my community, mm. which at first was pretty much like theater kids and theater nerds. Um, though I think that has expanded over the past several years. We always say it's, and we mean this in the warmest way, it's like the Isle of Misfit Toys. So it is, it is definitely the theater nerd still but it is also the marching band and the math club and the kids that were sexually active a little bit too early and the potheads and the stoners and the kids that sex a little too late. <laughs> Our aspiration is to be an amazing fitness and gym experience that is very inclusive and kind and nurturing and speaks to the people that either don't identify as fitness people or maybe have some understandable baggage from their middle school athletic experiences and make them feel cared for and safe mm. and successful. That's amazing. Who were your mentors that you mentioned? Who were those? Oh, folks? I mean, probably names of a lot of people you might know, but like Mike Boyle or Greg Cook. Because the thing that's interesting is my background is in somewhat nerdy academic strength and conditioning. So a lot of my mm. studies and background in fitness have been studying what the world's best strength coaches do for high performance athletes. I've spent a lot of time studying bodybuilding because I think there's actually a lot that one can cull from that, particularly when you're working with people on purely aesthetics. And from a movement perspective, we've been influenced by a number of schools of physical therapy modalities. So although we are not physical therapists, which means uh, we can't diagnose, we can't treat pain, there are a lot of things that we've learned about biomechanics, about joint health, that we can, within the scope of what we do, apply so that we can create more effective training programs that also keep people durable and keep them safe, which is a big deal for, I think, all fitness professionals. But having come from the background of the theater, particularly as somebody that is a former, not very good dancer, but a former dancer, and to this day still working with a lot of performers and a lot of people that if they get injured, it's not a matter of like, oh, I have this annoying crick while I'm at my desk. It's like they literally can't do their job. They literally can't make money. They literally can't do the thing that they are here on this earth to do. So we take that very, very seriously, and that is part of why do no harm is like religion for us at MFF. Agreed. I'm actually going to take the time right now to blow up my wife a little bit because she is an avid Mark Fisher fitness Yay. advocate and class member. She did a round of snatched, which is your six week kind of introductory, yeah. uh, get things going kind of a thing. And then she was like, had such a great time. She's not a workout person. She never really did the whole athletic thing. She runs a little bit, but then got into that. And you're, you're talking about the safe space that you kind of create. And this is something that she like was kind of trepidatious about and didn't have like a, sure. a good idea of how to move weights around or how to, you know, throw iron. And, and then she found MFF and found this wonderful place. And then it got me to do a six week yeah. cycle of snatched when, which I met Michael Liddick. And yeah. I was like, this is like that dude changed my life in a way that I was like, Oh man, I see your perspective. I see the, I see the, the whole dynamic here. And I love it for people who want yeah. uh, a safe Thanks, space man. to work out. And Appreciate it's beautiful, it. man. I have to like laud you on that. So Claps up, claps up. I think it's worth mentioning to everyone who's listening, if you're not in New York City yet, like if you're in a university, you know, going through your BFA, like everybody goes to Mark Fisher Fitness. I feel like everyone I know in the industry goes there, even though it's awesome that it's like moving down, like it's downtown and it's outside our industry. It's also like this place that everyone has a story like Andrew's, yeah, right? Yeah, for Mark? sure. Like, do and you it's, hear those it's, a lot? You know, I mean, I think the Broadway community will always be home base for us, you know, and I still... You know, always being show folk and my wife is a, a Broadway right. performer. So, you know, for me, I think that I feel like I really hit the lottery in that I knew that I wanted to find something that 
wasn't private performing forever for me. Like my dreams were sort of changing, like how I let them spend my time was changing. And I feel like I just found this lucky thing where I got to do this other thing that I love, but I still get to be a part of this community that is everything to me to this day. So I, I couldn't imagine my life without feeling like I'm at least peripherally a member of the Broadway community. And MFF has, has allowed that, which I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're like the new Sardis. Mark Fisher is like the new Sardis. I think deals are going down uh, I mean, listen, in the in the, it, in the shower area. I mean, I'm I'm nothing if not like a Broadway fan and a nerd. And there are definitely moments where I'm like, wait a minute, there's three people in this class right now that have Tony Awards. Like it's just like it's and it's just like no big deal. You know, and that's yeah, the other thing too right? that I think is such a testament to the Broadway performers. Yeah. This is certainly isn't a knock on uh, TV or film, but MFF you know, and you've been Andrew, it's, it's a, in, in the best way, it's like a middle-class kind of place. It's a, you know, it's not yeah. like a fancy facility. It's not, you're not getting eucalyptus scented towels when you walk out. And yeah. there's something, I think one has to really value right. egalitarianism to be able to work out in that type of facility. And to cl- be clear, there's nothing wrong if someone, because I think we've definitely had some situations where we trained some people that they just kind of got to a certain point where like, mm, it's going to, be weird for you now to be here like i understand that we need you to isolate you um but but on balance yeah there's something about like the almost blue collarness of so many theater professionals that i personally value that i've always really looked up to and, and been inspired by because i think before i got to new york i don't know I, I maybe had this image of like broadway performers as like these really like you know high level like artists and these inaccessible people and i have found in the best way so many people in the broadway industry mm-hmm both on stage and off, like so, like blue collar almost. Like my wife, I was like my wife. So she's like in her eighth Broadway show. There is this wonderful juxtaposition for me between these highly successful, beautiful, talented artist people that look at their jobs to some extent almost like plumbers where they're like, yeah, my bone is really hurt today. My knee's popping out, but I'm not calling out. It's my job. (laughs) got a job right now. It's pretty good. Probably won't have a job next week. Oh, well, I'm just going to do my job. And I just find right. that so it's consistently surprising and beautiful and makes me more like aggressive, protective, <laughs> wanting to like just hug all those people and just give them like a nice space where they can be loved and happy and feel good about themselves. Right. I mean, we listen to a lot of people on here also. We talk about things like, um, you know, you, you close more shows than you open, which has my, been my cl- case in New York. And it's like <laughs> there's a I, I want to go to work mentality. That blue collar nature of it is like, I don't know if I'm going to have a job tomorrow. But then you can go to like a place like, you know, Mark Fisher and have like this experience where you have all those collective thoughts and energy and stories together. And you kind of share a moment in a room for 90 minutes or 60 minutes or whatever. And it's like it's a really beautiful it's a beautiful place, man. I, again, laud you for creating such a a healthy environment for people to be normal. Hey, man, thank thank you so much. And I think it's uh, I I. This is not false humility when I say I really believe like we all created it. Like I think like MFF was created by the team and by the people that like I think we wanted this oh, thing. Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. And I feel very lucky to – yeah, to played a part in helping make that happen for all of us. Can we talk a little bit about your uh, your like inspiration for what that was? Like following into that is like did you find that there was a void or yeah, something okay. that it's you okay. – uh, I clearly didn't read any of the notes that we have yeah, on this no, the schedule of this podcast. I'm actually Thank just kind you. of like riffing this whole thing right now and I'm obsessed with you. So um, was it – did you see that there was like a bit of a void in the industry or in the fitness market to like get you started? Like what actually was your first like – 
I mean, that's the weirdest part. Like, I guess so, right? Because I can remember when I first even got my personal training certification, I remember thinking like, oh, it'd be really cool if I could train performers and people that do theater because they're my people. And so I think from the time, really the very beginning of me doing anything like that was in my head as maybe a potential thing. But as far as it turning into a business, it was, I guess, it, honestly, it was it was kind of happenstance to some extent. Like I, for me, that I always define as like really the beginnings of really what MFF became was the summer of 2010. I, number one, I did an Allstate commercial, which was great because national commercials are very lucrative. So that was great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and number, a little money in the bank, and, right? And number two, I had on a whim, I'd read one of my somebody I follow. And, and it's funny now because I've asked most of the people I thought it had said this because now they're friends of mine and they're all like, I, I've never done that. And I, I thought <laughs> I read somewhere somebody was reading two books per week. And I had always been a voracious reader, but not with that level of discipline. I was like, that sounds good. I want to do that. And I started reading two books per week. So I just started keeping like a book list and I started and a lot, I cheat. I read probably about a book per week, but I also audiobook about one to two books per week on top of that, which sounds difficult, but on double speed, it's not actually that hard. That's not cheating. So it's not cheating. <laughs> yeah, it's not I consume two to three books per week. And yeah, orally. Yes. And I think those things really shifted. I also started, uh, I became very rigorous with a goal setting process that I had read about in one of the books I had read. And those three things I think were really what in many ways led to MFF because I think I started getting intentional about really what I wanted from my life. And I think when I started getting clear about that and then working back to what would need to happen, what would I need to learn, who would I need to become to have that life, I think that began to inform my actions. And I wouldn't say that I was rudderless before, but I think I certainly became more focused and more intentional. Mm. And mm. it was also, I think, like a life thing. I think I got older and I was like, okay, I kind of want to be in town now like i've done running around i really want to be in town and as soon as i got the all state checks of course i you know marched to my agent's office and i'm like hey friends i am now a tv and film actor just so you know no more theater for me <laughs> and uh you know and uh so and, and i saw this path where like okay well, i can put a little bit more work and effort into my training career it's where i thought of like ridiculous human at the time was singular uh ridiculous human serious fitness mm -hmm. I came to my dear friends, Dirty Sugar, who are a great photography agency, some friends I went to school with, and we just like would riff on weird things. I was like, all right, let's do some shots where like I'm coaching old timey strong man, and like let's do some shots like Richard Simmons, get some like beautiful dancer girls around me, and I'll do like jump kicks. And, and they're like, okay, weird guy, okay. So we just did all these weird <laughs> pictures, and I started applying the things that I was learning, reading books about entrepreneurship. Because the other thing that's interesting is I started reading about business thinking that was for acting. So I was reading one fitness book to learn about physiology, but I was reading about business because I figured, okay, well, this will help me with my acting career because acting is a business and I want to learn more about business. And the to, to fast forward to the end of the year, I think within about a couple months, I started the Snatch of Six Weeks program. I put up a website. I started doing regular email marketing where I contacted an email list of people with content, trying to solve their problems, build a relationship, mm -hmm. make the possibility to do have a, a mm -hmm. professional relationship with them if and when they decided they wanted to pay somebody for help. And my business partner, who I keep mentioning, my non-sexual life partner, Michael, about this time notices a thing is going on. Unbeknownst to me, I'm training two of his dearest friends from Philadelphia that took the Snatch class. And he's like, 
what's going on with this, man? You're gonna, this is like a thing? It's like, what's the next step for this? Like, do you want this to be business? And I was like, no, no, no. It sounds like a lot of work. I don't want to deal with like real estate. I don't want to deal with like employees and then like their taxes. And because at that point I was like, I can, you know, do TV film stuff when it happens and I can have like a nice little like lifestyle business and not deal with that. And as I continued to read, I think I started hearing stories about businesses that really were a community. So one book that was very influential to me is a book called Delivering Happiness, which is about Zappos, the shoe company. And what I began to understand was that a business can actually give me a lot of the things that I most value about the theater was it could be like this community of people that share the same values. They're trying to do this cool thing together. And ideally they're making the world a better place for the people around them that get to grow and develop and become better versions of themselves by working in community with those other people. And that ultimately you could all make a living doing it. And I think when that happened, it switched like very quickly because I went from literally one month to being like, no, I'm not going to do this. I remember making fun and trolling friends of mine that were opening up a space in the city. Like, you are idiots. What are you doing? It's so dumb. Like you're going to, you're lighting your life on fire. Make a terrible yeah. idea. And then as soon as I switched, I was like, bam. Right. And that's why we always joked that we accidentally started a gym was because it literally went from like two, from one week, I was like not doing it to the next week. We started hiring people. We got a lease. Michael quit his job in Philadelphia. He put all his living room furniture in a truck. He moved it from Philly directly into the lease, into the clubhouse. It was literally just his furniture. We painted the walls. I convinced Brian to light his life on fire and give up his job. Like, <laughs> like everybody literally just burned the boats and was like, all right, I guess we're going to do this. Um, and that is how Mark Fisher Venice was born. Do you know, I feel like I know so many people who are paralyzed because they don't, they want to start a business, but they don't have the big plan. And like every sink, the commonality with everyone, yourself, uh, uh, everyone is just one step in front of the other. Read a fucking book. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Read a book and get an idea. Find some inspiration somewhere. Yeah. Could you have ever dreamed of where you're at now? No, no. It's so weird. It's so unexpected, particularly because like I was the guy that was like the most afraid of the gym. Like the gym was everything I hated about myself as a child. So, and that's the other thing, because this is where like it all gets weirder, right? So MFF, I am mostly out of the day to day. Like I, I mean, Andrew, you were there. I don't think I ever even saw you there, right? Like I, no, so no. I oversee the people that oversee the managers that run the team and run the system. So like I'm like, and I still go when I'm in town and I still have roles. I do special projects. I oversee the marketing, but like I'm pretty much out of the day to day. So the weird thing is now I spend about half my time um, traveling and speaking. And we have another company called business for unicorns where we work with organizations, both inside and outside of fitness on topics like organizational culture, building a team, customer service, marketing. And that is like super weird because now the other weird thing is a lot of the people I work with, the client facing work I do is now no longer with like Broadway people. It's with, and I mean this like so lovingly, they're my friends or my clients. It's with a lot of like bros. It's these bros that opened up a gym, like a random part of the country, the, the same people that, you know, might've made me feel badly about myself, more my story than theirs to be fair. But the same people I think really would have intimidated me in high school are now like my coaching clients that I'm like helping them with their fitness business. So it's super, super weird and super unexpected, but super That's fun. That's amazing. I mean, right on line with that and on trend with that. I want to get to our first question, actually, because we have some call-in questions and some video questions that we need to we want to get you to answer. So I think we have one from uh, uh, Saradwin. Is that the name? Is that right? I don't know. There we go. You, you go for it. 
Hi, this is Caridwen McCaffrey. I'm a New York City-based actress, and I'd like to know, as a founder of a fast-growing business, how do you stay involved with the ground-level operations day-to-day? Hmm. Great question. Uh, it, it depends. It's I think a lot about this right now. So at this point, it's interesting in that I always say, like, what's useful about my, and I'll keep this, this is a very specific answer for MFF, so I'm going to keep this concise because I don't know how much utility we'll have for everyone. But the the advantage I have right now and the disadvantage I have right now is I can see MFF very well at 35,000 feet. And I can also see MFF like on like crawling on the ground on my stomach. The challenge of MFF for me is I can't see 10,000 feet. I can't see 5,000 feet because I'm not there. I'm not there the day to day. Like that's the thing I just don't know anymore. And the there's disadvantages to that, right? Because I don't know what the day-to-day of MFF is there anymore. I just, I'm not there enough. Like I, I can't really speak to that, which is why I need to rely on a great team of managers and leaders that are there day-to-day that can provide that perspective. However, what I can provide is, like I said, 35,000 feet, which means because I'm not in the day-to-day, I can look at, I read every piece of feedback that comes in. So every time we hear about any like missed expectation, it always gets up the chain to me. In fact, the whole team reads them. So we track all missed expectations and all exceeded expectations and what we call our glows and grows systems. We're tracking feedback in our suggestion box, which sounds silly, but an analog suggestion box will give you a lot of great anonymous information. We do weekly surveys where we're asking the ninjas anonymously or not to give a specific feedback on what we're looking for for the classes, as well as open-ended feedback. And obviously, I'm also able to look at a number of scorecard items, everything related from uh, marketing numbers to terminations to the, the, the aggregation of that quantitative feedback I was telling you about. So that allows me to get a very good high-level 35,000-foot view. And because I'm not there today, I'm also able to crawl off my belly on the ground, and I see different things when I walk in right. that you can't see when you're there every day. Right, So I'm able to experience MFF a li- probably a little bit closer to a new person coming in off the street than the team is able to because it's amazing that the team are. And this is not their fault. I had the same thing when I'm there. When you're in the space, for instance, day to day, you just you can't see all the things. You just can't say, oh, wow, that paint is like really – what's going on with that? That's really kind of not good looking. I mean to paint that up. So – so anyway, so that is the way that I approach it and some of the particular strategies that I use. But no doubt, you know, there are like disadvantages to missing the 5,000 square feet, 5,000 feet up, whatever, whatever metaphor you want to use. But that also means I have to rely sure. on a great team to do that because of the, I can't. There's this really curious thing that happens that I'm cur- I'm interested in your opinion on. Like, right, when you're building a business, your brain has to learn how to be in the mire and those details and the tiny things. And then there's that point where it has to switch and you have to start giving it away. And, and how did you handle that? Did it come naturally oh, to you? Did you teach yourself? Gosh, it was, it was incredibly sort of difficult, right? So, and again, this is a lot of the work that I do because the, the clients that I work with tend to be people that are a little bit more sophisticated in their business, because frankly, you can't, you really need to like dollars of donuts. You need to be making enough money and be profitable enough that you can pay other people to replace yourself to get out of the business. So in a lot of small businesses, this isn't a conversation we even need to have because, frankly, the businesses just aren't doing well enough, right? They just need to market better and or improve their services, and they, they can't get out of the business. They have to work in the business, quote unquote. And obviously, when MFF started, I was mostly working in the business, and then I would midnight oil to work on the business. And then over many years, it took really years for me to like keep stepping out of it. And when I work with my clients on dealing with this, 
there are two pieces that I always like, we, I think we have to have conversations around. There is a skill set piece, right? There's the mechanics of how one steps out of the business. And that in some ways is it's challenging, but it's, it's a little bit easier, I actually think, frankly. So for like a gym, it's pretty easy. So if you're training 25 week, 25 hours per week, your next tier is you got to get down to 20 hours per week. And then you slowly begin to pull down those numbers. Phase you need to be able to write, out, yeah. yeah. And you need to be able to write down everything that you do and turn it into an external system that's outside of your head with the protocol and standard operating procedures that you can teach somebody else and then ultimately hold them accountable to execute and perform at whatever level of standards you've clarified are the bare minimum. So that's the skill set piece. The mindset piece, that's the tough one. <laughs> the emotional thing where like all your like, you know, you give me dopamine cookies and tell me like you really value me as a trainer, right? And like when ninjas like, oh my gosh. And it's it's like flattering in a way, but it really was like a dagger in my heart at the time when ninjas would be like, I'm like really disappointed oh. you're not here anymore. It's like, <laughs> you know, like, and it's, and I get it. And it's also hard too, because particularly in a service-based business like MFF, we're always going to have a certain amount of turnover of ninjas as staff leaves. Cause some people, they just want, you know, whatever, whenever they were midwifed out of the unicorn vagina, <laughs> whatever arrangements of parents they had in that moment, that is the right arrangement of parents. That is the correct arrangement of parents. So every time these interloopers come in and every time one of their beloved mommies or daddies leaves to go on whatever their next unicorn adventure is, it's a bummer, right? You know, and I think uh, that is a real thing. I think also that's okay. So I think making it okay for people to be disappointed <laughs> in me following my own star and realizing that if, if the shoes were reversed, I might be sad if I were working with them in a situation, but I would want them to do what it is that they want to do. Um, and ultimately, I have to do what I think is not only my personal best interest, but what I think is an MFF's best interest. And for me, that I think is running it more as an operator and not being in the day-to-day. -day. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that the fun part also of, of MFF in that you get new teachers sometimes, you totally. get new perspectives, you get new voices in there, and that makes for the experience. And I think that once people start like taking that ideology into their workouts, they're like, oh my Absolutely. God, I got a new trainer today. Yeah. Let's see what happens. You know what I mean? And then giving them that positivity and like reinforcing that positivity because they know that you know what you're doing. Oh. Clearly after these years, you're like, yeah. I'm hiring the right people. I'm making the right decisions. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're doing the right thing. And then people like, you know, it kind of, it becomes another level of the workout. It becomes yeah. another facet of the business. And I find that so interesting and wonderful. Yeah, about I think it's, it's, I think like new blood is an important thing in any business. And I think that was interesting for us because the first like five to six years, like virtually nobody left, which is really amazing in a lot of yeah. ways. And everybody's amazed is not a knock on anybody, but there's just some inherent problems that it's just the same people year over year, but it also gave a certain amount of stability that a lot of old time ninjas became accustomed to. And I think we're probably only two years maybe into this now, I think more normal world where probably every three months there's going to be a change of the guard. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, for people that are, are enjoy change, I think that's always going to be net positive. And I can understand for a certain type of individual that, really value stability more, I can understand why that would be confronting. Uh, and I look forward to uh, nurturing them and uh, empowering them to step in, lean to the discomfort of the new opportunities in front of them. And I say that if my wife actually listens to this podcast, I'm really talking about her being the one that doesn't want to change. And she yeah. comes home and she's <laughs> like, I had a new teacher today. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Every single time yeah. it changes, she's like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if this is going to work out. And I go, you know what? It's a good thing. Change is a good thing. She goes, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And then yeah. And two days later, she's like, well, I had such a great class with them. Yeah. I said, I was like, it's the same. I go, I know. I know. It's good. Yeah. It's, <laughs> and, and, you know, and part of that is the business piece, too, is I think we are getting better at how do we prepare the new trainers 
to be successful. So like of late, the past like probably year, my personal professional education obsession has been about adult learning, um, like a, a pedagogy of education, because what I've realized is what MFF needs to get great at, and I need to get great at first so I can teach other people, is how do we quickly train new team members and use the best practices of adult learning so that they're able to have the moments they need where they fail, but not fail. With <laughs> <laughs> like not fail right, with right. somebody that's giving them money to do a certain thing. Uh, right. Because I think, you know, I, I think, frankly, we, we've had moments where I don't think we did the best job we could as MFF. But, you know, we're just like a people we're learning too, And I think we are continuing to get better at that. And that is something I think we're working hard on is what is the system we need in place to really set up new people for success so that way they feel as confident as they can. And then also, you know, being realistic that, you know, the opening night of the new role and the new show, like you're going to have some jitters and it might take you Mm -hmm. a second to get into it. Well, the subject (laughs) of challenges is so juicy. We have another question from one of our listeners on that topic. Mm. Hi, my name is Portia, and I am a fitness instructor and personal trainer here in New York City. And I just wanted to know if there were any unexpected challenges when starting your business and how you overcame those. Mm, good question. Um, I... I mean, there were so many that I think I'm probably struggling to think of just one. Um, I think that for Mark Fisher Fitness as a brick and mortar business with a team, I think one thing that has been, and this is again, maybe a little bit inside baseball, so I'll be concise because I don't know this, everybody listening applies to this, but when you have a slightly more robust business, what will happen is you'll keep building systems. And there are two challenges around this. Number one, in your attempt to get everything consistent, you can accidentally over-systemize things. Um, And even if you found the right level of system, the amount of capacity and bandwidth required to keep everything evergreen is like very challenging and that never kind of goes away because you're never never done, right? So as a, a very specific example of this, Snatch emails. This is full on iTunes. Snatch is going to be in its 10th year next year. But every year I have to go through, I don't have to, but I'm going to every year I go through probably a hundred emails and I need to like reread them all. I freshen up the copy editing as needed and I have to change things. If I'm like, oh, I don't longer think this is true anymore. Like the, I, I would be curious, it'd be a funny thing to compare the original year versus the current year because my beliefs about a lot of best practices have changed. Some articles have come and gone. So what happens is as the business grows, you're not only looking to create new services and new products and new ways of taking care of people, but you're never done looking to improve the core products and offering. And I didn't, I don't think I appreciate how much capacity that would take. So that's, that's one of them. And there's just bazillions of others. There are bazillions of others, <laughs> but that's one. So I think I like, I love the idea that your business is an organic moving, living evo- uh, evolutionary thing. Like I love that idea. And do you, do you view the business business that way? Or do you see it in a, a form of like, just kind of like an analytical way? You're like, now you're so big that you've gotten to a point where you have to look at it very like line by line kind yeah. of a thing. Or again, that, that metaphor with the 35,000 feet to, you know, on the ground yeah. kind of thing. I, I think it's some of both. I mean, no doubt. And I think my, I think I look at it probably both ways. And I think 
Uh, I am a symphony of challenges and flaws as a human. But one thing I think has worked well for me is I think I'm like pretty like left brainy, right brainy, because there is a part of me that looks at it as this like art project. Right. And I always want MFF to feel a little bit homemade. I was like, say the metaphor I was used. I always want to feel like it's like, I made you this thing. And it's like, it's a little bit broken because I dropped on the way here, but I made this thing and I made it like just for you, right? So there is this like humanity that for me is core, that is foundational. Yeah. But on the other hand, the analytical system side says you still have to have guardrails because if people show up every time and they're like, I don't know what I'm going to get today. Like then, then your clients are not very happy because they get a very inconsistent experience. And I think a lot of the, that really right. the core work, I think, frankly, of all business and I think in service industries, for obvious reasons, it's very difficult, is you're constantly looking to balance humanity and consistency. And the more, if you get overly consistent, yeah. you can actually judge out the humanity way that's not great. But if you don't have any consistency, right. you can be as human as you want, but nobody knows what they're getting and it's all over the place. And I'm not sure like what the class is going to be and like is even going to start on time. So that is, I think, an ongoing negotiation. This is a thing that is so uh, right. consistently remarkable about theater folk who start businesses because it's sort of like accidentally we have ended up talking to a lot of people like that. and But it has <laughs> like parallels to the rehearsal room, right? Learn the technical totally. piece of the play within an inch of its life and then let it go and let it not be perfect every night, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And it's interesting because one of the challenges I think you have in a service business is very interesting, I think is a less extreme, but it's it's actually a less extreme version of the challenge that actors have, which is how do I do this exact same thing mm -hmm. eight times a week and allow it to happen, but let it be organic in that moment, let it take on just the different subtle shadings of that real moment that I'm having with this other person up here, but I still got to stand here at this moment. I can't decide I want to say a different line at this moment. And to some extent, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very extreme version of what happens in a service business. Where at a place like MFF, there are some non, there's a lot of non-negotiable things. And for a certain type of individual, even that can feel very like, oh, it's like I can't do any exercise I want. And I always have to start two minutes after the hour. And we always have to do this name game. And it's just like, oh, I just can't teach anybody deadlifts anymore. Um, <laughs> and for a certain type of person, that type of job is not a good fit in the way for a certain type of actor, probably being a long running show is not a good fit. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, we all know that that, that can happen and you know, it's not a judgment, but there, you know, there's sometimes somebody gets in a role and they stick in it and it's like, you know, they're, I understand they got to pay a mortgage. Like I get it, but it's like maybe <laughs> time to move on artistically, but what are you going to do? I'm not here to judge. I'm just here to observe. Um, <laughs> but I always look at acting as like right, the ultimate right. example of, Oh my gosh, the system is so tight. But also a great example of how, and again, I am un probably uniquely well suited for this because I, as we discussed, I have a, a sort of compulsive love for structure. Within that structure, within that system, there is always freedom to bring humanity, to bring you who you are to really approach it as a practice, right? And really like, like find, use that as an opportunity to explore who you are in that moment because of the constraints. God, I wish that more people had your mindset. So something that we do here, Mark, on uh, Take Me to Coffee, we actually have a, a, another guest prior to your episode. We have our last guest actually ask you a question. We had June Lee from ESPN, who's a sports baseball writer, uh, reporter from, he's like a 24-year-old Korean-American man. He's unbelievable. But he wants to ask you a question, and we've got that for you right now. Hey, Mark. Uh, my question for you is, 
in an industry that's as, as competitive as fitness is, how do you keep up and how do you change with the times? Mm, good question. Um, yeah, I think, you know, for me, I think it's, it's the education piece, right? It's like, you just can't ever stop learning and you can't ever rest on your laurels. And if you're not making things better, they are getting worse. Right. So I think that's why the relentless education and not just for me, but for our team at MFF is so important and not just reading books, but I think, uh, professional networking. And again, I'm so lucky because I've been able to set up my life and I get to do a lot of travel. So I get to like see other things that are happening. I get to have friends in all corners of the industry. I get to, in addition to speaking at conferences, I get to be students at them where I can also sit and listen to a lot of very smart and successful people try to figure out what's going next. I think uh, as a business owner, in addition to studying your industry, um, I also think it's as important. And, and these days, I think almost even more important to study like business in general and other industries. Right. So I think because it, it seems like so much of creativity, it seems, is about putting together weird things that just nobody's put together before. Like it's like the postmodern age, like nothing's new. You just put this weird thing together. And the next, I think my aspiration is to continue. So for a very specific example of this is, uh, you know, deep dive studying of hospitality. What else can we do at a gym? that is being done in hospitality because they're doing the best customer service. And a lot of it won't work, uh, unfortunately, because, you know, it's a different model. People aren't, you know, going to their hotel four to five times per week, unless something's very wrong in their marriage, perhaps. Uh, the margins are much better over there. So they're able to do other things. But, you know, for me, I think it's both studying what's happening in the industry, but <laughs> importantly, continuing to look outside of the industry, right? So the weirdest thing, and I can't, I can't tell you like what I've done specifically from like what I went, I had this experience. I was like, oh, now I'm going to do this thing that's like different. But for some reason, this is super weird. I, one of like my real like, like passions, I, I don't really know a ton about it. But I'm like super into it is contemporary art. And I feel like every time I go to like the Tate Modern, I understand MFF better, right? Because MFF, I think in many ways, I've always felt the philosophical antecedents of MFF is the Dadaist movements, right? MFF came out of like, like my love of absurdity, like I want MFF to be ridiculous because it is this like existential dance macabre, like celebration of like life is madness. Um, and that's like weird because it's, I understand it's like, it's like, oh, it's like funny and it's whimsical and it's unicorns. And it is, and a lot, to be clear, most of the time it is just that it's just a fun workout. But for me, MFF at its very best, I think, is this like grappling with existential dread that I think has uniquely always been done by the absurdists in the cacophony society and absurdism. Um, so for me, you know, there's an article called In Defense of Ridiculousness that I wrote after MFF first started, which is like my like philosophical treatise on why madness and ridiculousness and weirdness and vulgarity and shock and awe and confusion is done very intentionally because I want to like kind of shake the human race and remind everybody in the gentlest, most loving way I can that memento mori, you are not here long. The stakes are high. Tomorrow is not promised. Um, and yes, you're scared and I'm scared too. You know why? Because none of us know what we're doing. Let's not know what we're doing together. Hold hands and maybe we can do ring around the rosy while we play the Joseph Megamix. You start talking data and surrealism in terms of a business. My heart goes like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if, if you can't, if you're listening, it got big. <laughs> yeah. And it's... And oh, 
it's like it's and it's funny because it's one of those things I think we're I'm I'm trying to figure out now because it is so systemized. We're looking for okay, what are how do we put in systems that create the space that allow for that serendipity, right? Because like things like Dadaism, you can't be like, oh, you, <laughs> you're not wearing your flare. You know, I never want MF like, well, you're not wearing your your I don't see you wearing your unicorn S and M pirate costume. It's gonna give you a write up disciplinary mark, right? Like it's just not, you know, that's not possible. So I think that is so hard and I'm so interested in how do we, and I don't know that we're doing it great yet, honestly, but I think this is like part of the mission for me is how do I create these systems and structures that give people enough space to bring together like that unique moment and the inspiration, the weirdness and the creativity and the things that are just like, you know, unusual. They're going to shake people out of their day-to-day existence and um, have these Burning Man style moments of serendipity and, and awe and Man, beauty. this has been the most amazing conversation. And I feel like it's only the tip of the iceberg. So if someone wants to come hang out with you guys at Mark Fisher Fitness in New York City, how do they find you on social media? What do they do? What's going on at the gym? Yeah, they should go to markfisherfitness.com. If they want to check out all the MFF shenanigans here in New York, they can check us at MFF Clubhouse is the Instagram handle for MFF, where they are very active and very bizarre. Um, anybody not in New York can also go to mybroadwaybody.com, which is an online suite of done-for-you, follow-along, high-definition, body-weight-only workouts you can do anywhere, anytime, if you want to get some MFF vibes outside New York City. And uh, those are the places you can find MFF, yeah. I mean, I swear by the workout. My wife definitely swears by the workout. So <laughs> I thank you. In more ways than one. Thanks, Mark. Tis a pleasure. Tis a pleasure and an honor. OMG MFF. Mark Fisher, what the fuck? That guy is so (laughs) fucking eloquent. I've never in my life heard somebody talk so, and I'm going to say it again, concisely and brilliantly in explainable relatable terms like it's unbelievable how like his brain works one it's amazing to me coolest things about talking to him and one of the my favorite things he said to your point about like how you like to work out like 6 a.m give yeah. me kettlebell you know for mark right. who you know has sort of this he not only has sort of like a guru status at least in our community but certainly the the gym has that sort of guru reputation of oh yeah but like he said the same thing to us right he said like it's if you're you're the kind of person who wants to do a long running show for years and years, same thing every day, or you're not, this gym isn't for everyone. Yeah, but I think that's consumer based relations today. It's like there's so much out there. If you don't like the sweater we're selling, don't buy that sweater. You know, it's like go go pick and choose whatever wherever you're safe and whatever you feel comfortable with, but challenge yourself. And I think that's to all our listeners out there. I think that's the main um, thing that I took away from this other than skill acquisition which I think is the fucking greatest phrase I've ever heard in my entire life yeah seriously someone who acquires skills on a daily basis I it, for anybody out there if you don't understand that statement please like DM us or like do whatever we'll explain that to you in its entirety because it is one of the most genius simple statements that you will ever find in the world of words. If you enjoyed this talk and you want to check out more of what Mark Fisher Fitness is doing, we'll have the links uh, below, including um, what we're going to go ahead and link to Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS, as well as Return to Ritual, that amazing arts-based incarceration um, program that Mark was talking about. And uh, we hope so that awesome. if you're in the New York City area, you'll head over there and give their classes a, a try. You might run into Andrew and his wife there. And uh, you know what? You can head on over to Twitter and follow Follow us if you like this episode at TM2C Podcast. Ask your questions for our upcoming guests. 
And that wraps up our Take Me to Coffee date with Mark Fisher. So now it is your turn. One. That is the word O-N-E number one. It. Check out new episodes <laughs> every Thursday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on your phone, on your computer, or basically your favorite podcasty thingamajigger. Two, and this is an important one, for special bonus content, including not being able to see the fact that Mark was not wearing pants but you can see his upper half. <laughs> and also there was someone <laughs> crawling around in the background. It was his Who wife. Was oh person? my God, Broadway star. It was his wife. Amazing. This is his unbelievable <laughs> wife, his Broadway star you, wife. Eight Broadway I shows just, later. She's the, currently starring in Tootsie on Broadway. I feel like you can never make assumptions, but that's amazing. So including seeing Mark Fisher's wife very um, graciously trying not to be in the shot in the background. Stay anyway, you can go. for all of our yeah. Patreon Coffee Club members. Yep. Join our coffee club over at Patreon. You go to www.patreon.com slash TM2C podcast. Your contribution helps us continue to make this podcast for you, with you, by you, completely ad-free. We shall not sell out. I won't do it. Trish no matter how much money you pay not. me. You shall not pass that money to me Uh, because I won't sell out. Unless it's for coffee. Three guys, download this episode and the many other episodes we have in our inaugural first season of Take Me to Coffee. Leave us a review. You know the drill and spread the love. I'm Jess. And I'm Andrew. And we will see you next week. Next week. Two walk like two out the door, then you have magic.